Welcome everyone to Women's Football Success. I am your host, Lynn Marie Liberty Ellington, and I am with the Dallas Elite Women's Football Team. Um, disclaimer, I am also an attorney licensed to practice law in the state of Arkansas. Um, I also own other businesses, um, business consulting, and I help super small businesses, um, usually businesses with 10 or less employees. Um, but the disclaimer is, again, I am an attorney licensed to practice law in the state of Arkansas. Any and all of the information that I put out on my blogs, my websites, um, digital media, and written material is all business information. It is not legal advice and therefore does not create a attorney-client relationship. I've been in women's football for a long time. Um, I actually took a, a step out of it to go to law school and to move to Arkansas, um, but I actually started in women's football back with the Lone Star Mustangs in 2008-2009, and then I owned, I expanded and owned the Lone Star Mustangs, the Tulsa Eagles, and the Little Rock Wildcats. Um, we left women's football for a while. I went to law school. Um, I was asked to come back, and I'll share a little bit of that story with you here in a little bit. Real quick, I just wanted to tell you guys a couple things. This is episode 1804. So we are setting up the Women's Football Success Group on Facebook for owners, coaches, players, and support staff to get together and share information. There are some rules about the group and what you can and cannot post inside the group. Um, and just so you guys know that um, I don't multitask my, my business stuff, but when I'm doing this, what I call accessories or additional services for my business, um, you will hear my phone go off. Um, you'll hear different things going on, phone calls coming in. So I might have to pause the show to be able to take those, but I try not to. I try to be able to be in a quiet area, but sometimes it's, it's very difficult for me to find an hour of quiet time each week to be able to do this, but I really want to be able to um, get this information out to uh, women's football and the women's football community. So what is women's football success? Real quick, um, earlier in 2010, 2011, we had football for women, football, the number four women.com. And that was kind of like an online magazine. Um, but the difficult thing that uh, that we found was that a lot of the teams didn't have time to collaborate or send their pictures in or send their information in. And so, but I still wanted the information to get out to people. So in the time when um, my husband and I left women's football to come to Arkansas, um, I went to law school. This We've been working on this for a couple of years, trying to perfect and come up with the best way to do this. So we wanted to provide women's football success as a way for um, the organizations, the support staff to get together, the, the coaches, so that they could learn from other people that are doing the same things. Because as you know, there's no how-to book for women's football. Now it's coming and it'll be out here shortly, but right now there's no how-to book for women's football. So real quick, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the other episodes, and I've kind of kept them on the down low so that we could get a couple episodes out here so you guys could hear them. But we talk about um, tryouts and how to get your numbers up, preparing to host a, a game, player promotion. Um, we've already talked a little bit. And 
again, these first episodes, I wanted to kind of get some brief information out there to kind of give you guys some ideas of what topics we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about player sponsorships, um, how to set up a coaching staff, ticket sales, profits from ticket sales, concession stands. What a lot of people don't realize about women's football is that a, a women's football team is almost like eight businesses within a business. Um, so we have to deal with fundraising and sponsorships and tryouts and players and coaches and volunteers and what happens when a volunteer doesn't show up, etc. So we deal with all these different things, we, practice schedules, playing schedules, travel, how do we travel? When do we travel? Do we get hotels? Do we get buses? Do we get vans? All these different things go into creating a women's football team. And a lot of people that come to women's football, they do it because they loved women's football, not necessarily because they loved business or had any idea about the business part. Um, so women's football success is a platform for us or an area for us to be able to help these teams be successful. Um, it's, it saddens me to hear that some of these teams that have been around for 5, 10, 15 years um, are going out of business or are deciding not to play a season because they just don't have the financial means or the ability to do that. Um, so real quick, next week I'm going to talk about um, corporate sponsorships, and then security and safety of your brand with your support staff. Um, it is a big, big issue with women's football. What happens when um, a team splits or people leave and take your uh, information with them? So we'll talk about that here in the coming weeks. Today, I'm going to talk about concession stands. I'm going to talk about how many coaches you need and what types you need. I'm also going to talk about, with regards to women's football ownership, bringing unity within the women's football teams, within the league. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the differences in the league and, and how that works. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episodes, we talked about, let me pull that up. We talked about event planning. We talked about a little bit about football 101 and practice schedules. And then we also talked about um, five great fundraisers that we have. Now, again, these first few episodes that we're doing are to kind of just give you a broad idea of what we're going to be talking about. We are going to actually set up focused webinars um, that just talk about Football 101 and just talk about social media so that the people within your organization, within your women's football team that deal with those sections can go and take a focused class on how to do those things um, within the team. Now, players probably could care less about um, the social media aspect of it or Football 101, but the person that is in charge of Football 101 for your team um, may find it important to um, take one of those classes and get to know what they need to do. So real quick, let's go ahead and dive into what we're going to talk about this week. And I want to talk about bringing unity to women's football teams in the ownership side. Now, obviously, if you've been around women's football for more than a second, you you know that, sorry, I got to get my Diet Pepsi. 
Um, you'll know that there are a couple different leagues within women's football. When I came to women's football, there was the NWFA, National Women's Football Alliance or Association. I'm not even sure what it was. It was under Catherine Masters. Um, and they, at the time, I think they probably had about 35 teams. And I paid um, to have a franchise within that league. Within a couple weeks, that franchise basically disbanded. Um, and then I reached out to Lisa and Jeff King to bring together, because they were starting up a league and this league was going down. So we tried to decide whether we could bring those two things together. And that year, I want to say, forgive me for, my, for not keeping track of the numbers, but I want to say that that first year, we had about 30, 34 teams in the WFA. And it was run by Jeff and Lisa King. Um, and they've done a great job with women's football. They've been around since then, and they've stayed with women's football. Um, at that time, I was with the Lone Star Mustangs, and we expanded the next year to have more teams, actually two years later, to more teams. And that was always the plan. Um, but, but Lisa and Jeff stayed with women's football. My husband and I got out of women's football because we needed to move and travel. Um, so we gave our teams to the players. Um, because we wanted to promote that longevity and that legacy of the teams with the team so that they could continue to do whatever they felt they wanted to do. However, in women's football, a lot of times you'll see that uh, teams will split up, separate. People think they can do it better. People want to do it differently. People want um, to have the ownership to themselves, whatever the case is. But within the leagues, a lot of times they don't allow multiple teams in a same location. So that's why all of these other leagues have continued to be able to stay alive. Um, so the WFA right now has about 61 to 65 teams throughout the U.S. The IWFL, um, I believe, has 10 teams. If you look at their, um, oh, and the WFA, you can find out at WFAProFootball.com. And then the IWFL is IWFLSports.org. And I believe they have 10 teams in the U.S., and then the next uh, league down is the USWFL, I believe is what it's called. And they have, I think, eight teams or nine teams. Um, so there's these other leagues that are going. Now, the ISWFL, if I'm saying that correctly, and I apologize if I'm not, but um, they are more of a centralized. I think they're like Tennessee, Missouri area of a set of teams that, that kind of stays in that area. Um but they have eight teams, and so they are more localized, whereas the IWFL and the WFA are throughout the U.S. But with regards to the unity of women's football, it's important within a league to have unity in women's football so that while the teams aren't playing the same and aren't using the same schemes, um, there's no unity in that, the behind-the-scenes, the processes and procedures in women's football need to start having some sort of unity or similarities in the way they do things to promote success within women's football. Um, 
ideally, if you have a team that has two, three, four thousand people in the stands, um, go check out the Pittsburgh Passion. They've done it year after year. They do awesome. Um, they actually hosted the championship game last year and I believe the year before. They constantly have thousands of people in their stands. Now, I'm not telling you to call um, the Pittsburgh Passion and um, ask them a bunch of questions. I mean, they may they may answer your questions if they have time, but they're very busy people. But if they're able to put three and 4,000 people in the stands, then us other teams should be able to do that as well, correct? So, but it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of work to get to that point. Um, so what I'm gonna talk about today, specifically on bringing unity in women's football is contracts. And like I said at the beginning of the show, um, I am an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. I'm not an attorney for any of the football teams or anything like that. Uh, but I want to talk basic contract information, um, not from a legal standpoint. If I was giving you legal advice, I would be giving you um, advice on your specific situation or problem that you're having. What I'm basically doing here is just giving you advice on contracts and things that need to be in contracts to make sure that you can protect your, your company um, as an organization. And the fact that women's football teams are allowed to set up however they want and do business however they want, um, they just need to fill the team and meet the schedule and, and travel to the, the games, um, there's a lot of inconsistency when it comes to women's football and how the team is run and how the team's contracts are created and um, understood between the players and, and the community. So real quick, basic contracts, you're gonna have basic contracts in women's football. You're gonna have basic contracts between the ownership and the players, the ownership and the coaches, the ownership in the community, the community and the players, um, venues that allow you to have fundraising parties. You might have a contract with them. It might be a verbal, it might be a written. A lot of people think, oh, if I have a verbal contract, then it doesn't it doesn't apply. You guys better check your Google and make sure on the internet that a verbal contract in your situation um, is not going to be held accountable or held to what you guys agreed upon. There are certain things that a verbal contract is not allowed to be a part of or will not be honored in a court of law. However, most verbal contracts in, in various scenarios or various situations um, will be honored. But when it, what I want to kind of get down to is understanding that contracts within women's football need to be similar all over the board or else a player comes to your organization and they've played for another organization and they assume that the contract that they had with the other company or the other football team was the same as it's gonna be with your team. And that's just not true, right? Because we all have different um, ways of doing things and we all are allowed to do things differently. Um, and we're all in different states, so different state laws apply. But ideally, when you're talking about a contract with a player from a woman's, stand women's football standpoint, there's gotta be things that the team gives and gets and there's got to be things that the player gives and gets. 
a one-sided contract where all the, the team gets everything, 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 and the player just has to do, has to do everything, um, is not going to be a valid contract um, because the a contract is a two-way situation. One person gives, one person gets something, and then the other person gives, and the other person gets something. Um, that's as technical as I'm going to get, and that was pretty basic, but... Um, the idea between a contract is that I'm going to give you something and you're going to give me something. It's a two-way street. So when it comes to player contracts, you want to make sure that it's well spelled out. If there's player fees, if there's responsibilities, if there's activities that they're required to participate in, if there's things that they have to do, um, sponsorships, fundraisers, selling tickets, etc. Also, you'll want to have in there anything that the player is required to do as far as practices. Are they required to go to a certain number of practices? Are they required to buy a certain type of equipment? Other things might be um, pants, pads, cleats, socks. Are you going to provide that as an organization or are they going to provide that as an organization? Um, a lot of these teams are starting out and, like I said, they go into women's football and they feel like um, they just love football and they just want to start a team. I'm going to try and put a contract out on the website, Super Small Biz, under the Women's Football Success. I'm going to try and put out a template contract for these new teams to use um, and then add to um, on a case-by-case -case basis by, you know, according to what circumstances they're under or according to what they want to provide or not provide for their organization. Um, and then, of course, they're going to have to look at their own state rules and, and requirements on what they can and cannot contract about. But the player contract, in addition to those things, should have some details about the social media or the pictures, the videos that are being created because women's football now in 2018 is getting more visual and more video. Um, hold on, see there's a call coming in. Um, sorry about that. Um, so women's football is getting more visual, so there's a lot more video, a lot more photography happening. And um, so you need to know what the players can do with those pictures and video, what the team can do with those pictures and video, and what happens when the, that player is no longer on the team. Does the team still keep all of the property or does the player get it? So with that being said, um, other elements that you may want to have uh, with regards to the player contract is going to be liability. Usually within the league, there's a liability waiver form that they fill out and sign for the, for the medical within the league. But you'll also want to have that same thing for your team because that league um, protects the league, but it doesn't protect the team. So you'll probably want to have some sort of liability waiver within the contract um, between the player and the, and the team contract. Then, of course, you'll want um, anything that has to do with a non-compete um, agreement, going to other teams, not going to other teams, um, and then other additional things. For example, um, any other requirements that your team's going to have of that player above and beyond just playing football. If you're going to require them to, I don't know, 
one of the teams a couple years back, um, and it's okay if I say this, but it was in Kentucky. The team was in Kentucky. I don't know if they exist anymore, but as one of the fundraising situations, they actually worked the Kentucky Derby. The team couldn't play games on a certain week because of the Kentucky Derby, and that just happened. Um, but the in the contract, from a contract standpoint, the team put something in their contract that had to do with the, the requirement that each of the players had a mandatory um, responsibility to work so many hours during the Kentucky Derby. That way they could, um, you know, contract with the Kentucky Derby people and they would know that they were going to bring so many people to do so many hours of work. And then the team actually made money off of the working the Kentucky Derby. So that helped to pay for, you know, sponsorship or player funds or whatever. But they had to have that in their contract that it was a mandatory thing to do. Um, with regards to coaching staff and support staff, um, contracts are very similar to the player contract. You're going to want to have all those elements in there. What the coach is responsible to do, what he's required to do, what you're going to give the coach, what how that's going to be, if you're going to compensate the coach. Um, you can even have things in there about how many T-shirts you're going to give them, how many jerseys, how many coaching staff uniforms, how many hats, etc. You can have that all within the contract or not. It all depends on you. But ideally, we want to have a similar type of contract to the player contract that, that you have with your team. And then again, that might um, have to do with other things that the coaching staff, something that I didn't talk about with the player, but also um, language, conduct. Um, I know in, in some leagues, there's a code of conduct, um, sportsmanship, etc. And then finally, the contract with your support staff. Now, if you have somebody that's in charge of your social media, in charge of ticket sales, then you're going to want to have a contract with that person. For example, the person that's sitting at your ticket sales door, you want to make sure that you have some uh, contract language together that protects you from any miscommunication of your team to potential fans or the, the taking of funds. I mean, there's various different scenarios that could happen here, but um, you want to have a contract with your support staff telling them what they can and cannot do on behalf of the team, what they can and cannot say, how you're going to compensate them, whether you're going to compensate them, um, how they need to be dressed when they're at team functions, etc. All of those things can be part of your contract. So again, just as a review for players, coaches, and support staff, and co-owners, I would say, you know, you want to have contracts with co-owners or between co-owners. Um, but players, coaches, and support staff with the team, you're going to want to have contracts with these various people that state what they're going to get from the team, what they're going to give to the team, and any extra important elements that either that relationship depends on or they will be required to do because of that relationship or what they absolutely cannot do because of that relationship. 
I'm going to go ahead and um, put together a, a simple sample template of a, a contract for a player. Um, depending on your team, I'm going to put just a basic thing out there, maybe a couple pages. Uh, but I will tell you that some of these teams have 10 to 15 page contracts with the players. Um, and they're really, really good contracts. Um, but again, the contract doesn't, whether a contract's good or bad doesn't depend on how long it is. But in order to have the elements that are important to women's football, it needs to be a, a longer contract. I mean, it doesn't have to be 12 pages, but it can be five or six pages. Well, I want to talk about our coaching staff and how many coaches you need to have, um, what kinds of coaches you should have, etc. When it comes to women's football, you usually will be on one side or the other, but you will typically have a lot of coaches falling out of the woodwork to try and be part of your team, or you can't find enough people. That seems to be feast or famine. Now, if you are having a difficult time finding coaches for your team, you're going to want to connect with potentially high school uh, coaches that just want to do additional stuff on their on their downtime and want to volunteer for you. You can also reach out to college students that used to play high school ball but didn't necessarily um, want to or need to play college ball. Or you can reach out to men's semi-pro teams and, and players on there. There are many different ways to get coaching staff. However, I recommend that you find a couple different coaches from different places. And that way, if there's a situation where one coach can't come, you know, if they all work at the same place, they're all not going to be able to come on the same date. Um, on the other side of that, if you have a bunch of coaches coming out to try and coach your team, you're going to want to do some due diligence. Either way, you're going to want to do some due diligence and make sure that these coaches are the coaches for you. You want to make sure that they have a good reputation in women's football, a good reputation in football in general, and then they um, are there for the right reasons. Typically, you'll be able to find out fairly quickly if somebody's going to mesh well with your organization and or if they're there for the right reasons. So in women's football, we a lot of times have people that are very, very familiar with football, but um, don't necessarily have the business side of it down or vice versa. They have a really good business standpoint, but they don't have um, a lot of football knowledge. So this is kind of some a basic um, component of our women's football success today to talk about the coaching staff, how many you should have, what they should be interested in or what um, skills they should have, and then um, ways to make sure that your coaching staff gels well with your team. So obviously you need to have a head coach. This is typically your most experienced coach on the staff, um, but does not necessarily have to be. Sometimes the most experienced coach wants to be more laid back and, and have more of a supportive role on the team, but still wants to be involved and be around football. Then, of course, you have a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator, and they usually or typically focus on one side or the other of the ball. And then you have your O-line, D-line coaches, and then you have assistant coaches. The way I like to set mine up is to have a head coach, an O, 
offensive coordinator, an O-line coach, and then one or two assistant coaches under there. Um, and each of these different coaching staff can have an assistant under them. Usually it will either be an assistant or an intern. And any of these titles can be melded together. A lot of teams will have the you know, defensive and offensive coordinator, or they'll be the head coach and the offensive coordinator, or the head coach and the defensive coordinator. Um, and that typically is determined by the head coach. But when you get into some of these more supportive roles, sometimes you'll have like the D-back and special teams coach or the quarterbacker, the quarterback coach and the long snapper uh, coach. Uh, sometimes they meld them together depending on the number of coaches that they have or on the specialty or the skills of the coach. So after you have the defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, O-line, D-line, assistants, you have a DB coach, you'll have a special teams coach, quarterback coach, receivers coach, kickers coach, and then under that you'll have interns. Ideally you want to get that most experienced person um, at the top of that pyramid of employees and then put some assistants below that and then some interns. And each year you're going to want to be cultivating and changing out those coaches, and then also bringing on some of your veteran women's football players on as your coaches. Um, it's really cool when you go out to a women's football team game and you are able to see a full lineup of female football coaches. So that's pretty cool. So that's pretty much it for the coaching staff when it comes to women's football. The next segment in this episode is going to be talking about concession stands and working at concession stands. I have a couple of different checklists and different things that we've put together um, with regard to, to the concession stand. Let me just pull that up real quick. Hold on just a second. Now, when it comes to concession stands, you ultimately have three to four different scenarios that come up with women's football. I'm gonna talk about that first. So in women's football, there's typically four different scenarios. There's the stadium provides the concession stand. So in that case, you don't have any say-so in what they provide and the pricing is theirs. They keep all the money. The second scenario or the opposite side of that is no concessions are allowed at all. Um, some states or some stadiums have situations where they kind of franchise or they they partner up with maybe a booster club. The football booster moms are the ones that come in and do concessions during certain times. But if you're not anticipating a certain number of people in the stands, they won't even open up the concession stand. So in that situation, a lot of times they won't allow you to have concession stands, but they won't have concession stands either. And then in that situation, um, you can offer to your fans to be able to bring their own stuff in, but be, be advised that in that case, you're going to have to clean up after them. They probably won't um, put everything into the trash can for themselves, so you'll have to um, kind of clean up the stadium afterwards. And then third um, is the situation where you could hire a food truck or a local business to come do the concession stand for a percentage. 
This can and cannot work out sometimes. It depends on what percentage they're looking for and if it's the food that is gonna work for your type of event or if the food's actually good. So you may wanna taste test the food before you actually have one of these people come and do it. The final scenario is the one that um, we typically use in women's football and that's where the team um, can provide concessions with foods and drinks uh, to the fans and they actually man or they have support staff man the concession stand. So a couple things that you're gonna wanna look at is keep in mind that um, you'll probably be outdoors, your stadium is usually outdoors, and so you will have limited ways to clean up the surfaces and clean up the area around you. So make sure you have cleaning items available. Um, another one is that you wanna think about, you wanna pre-plan everything ahead of time and think about your concession stand and what items will make money and what items won't. So this, a lot of people just start bringing stuff to this concession stand and they're not sure if it makes money. So if you're gonna go to a Sam's Club, you want to buy the products, divide the products. So for example, if it's, I don't know, 20 bags of candy for 10 bucks, then you know it's 50 cents a bag. You're gonna have to sell those for a dollar a bag for people to buy them. Are you gonna be able to sell all 20 of them? It depends on how many people you have in the stands. So you're gonna to wanna to shop around and do some research on different items according to their cost and the number of potential sales that you're gonna have and determine if that's gonna be something um, that you want to have at your concession stand. Next, you're gonna to wanna to think about the longevity of the products and two things, the ability um, to put them back away or be used at the next concession stand. So for example, prepackaged candy, Skittles, that kind of thing. Those, you can have them out there, and if they don't sell, you can take them home, put them in a, a cool area, and then bring them back. Um, fruits, apples, oranges, you know, a lot of times concession stands want to have a healthy option. Apples, oranges, grapes. The problem with those is that they do not keep well for next week's game or two weeks away. So you either need to buy a limited quantity so that you can sell them and make your money and sell out of them, or um, not sell the healthy snacks or the, the fruits. The other option is to pick, or the other thing that you wanna think about is to pick menu items that go well with the time of year that uh, women's football plays. Um, one of the big no-nos or I mean, if you can do it, do it, but uh, chocolate candy bars are a pain in the butt because especially in the hot summer heat down here in Texas, you know, it's 116 degrees, you're, your chocolate bars are not gonna last very long, but you've already bought them and they're in your inventory. So you wanna make sure that um, a lot of things don't go to waste. So you either have to be able to place them in a cool spot throughout the whole concession stand time or pick items that don't melt. I hope this kind of sums up some do's and don'ts of the concession stand. I also put together um, a concession stand checklist of things that you should think about or at least be aware of when you're doing your concession. You don't have to use my checklist or you can use the checklist and add things to it, print it off and, and add to it. But the women's football uh, concession stand checklist that I have um, includes tables, chairs, tablecloths, coolers and ice. And then if you're going to 
provide something hot, you'll want it either in crock pots, microwave, or some sort of hot food prep, uh, sternos, etc. And then of course you'll want serving utensils. Um, we usually take a thing of tape, gloves for serving the food, extension cords. You also want to make sure that you have plates and bowls for whatever you're going to be serving at the concession stand. Make sure that you have the proper items to serve it in. For example, Frito pie is very, very difficult to, to serve um, on plates. And then also uh, styrofoam plates is a no-no or styrofoam bowls. Um, if you're going to be microwaving something in the microwave, the styrofoam will melt. So bowls or plates or whatever kind of custom-made things that you have, we provide these really cool metal bowls um, for our stuff, and then they can actually put a lid on it and take it with them. Also plasticware, trash bags, and also make sure that you have a cash drawer and change to be able to give change because it's always happens that you have your concession stand and somebody brings you a $100 bill or a $20 bill at first. So you need to be able to make change. And then finally, um, I have a kind of the 10 or 12 great items to have at the concession stand. And you guys are going to have some custom made things that you specifically have there or that somebody on your team is known for making or just really does this awesome dessert. Um, but typically it's going to be hot dogs, hamburgers, tacos, nachos, chips, Frito pie, any number of baked goods that you usually take to a, a baked goods sale or a fundraiser sale at the school will typically work. And then ice cream is iffy if you, if it's going to melt. You know, if you have a, a ice cream machine or some sort of um, ice cream food truck there, that might work. Candy, again, chocolate kind of melts, but you can do several kinds of candy without having chocolate. And then, of course, soda, Gatorade, water, and then healthy snacks. Typically, you want to think of healthy snacks that are um, maybe like granola bars so that you can actually take them home, put them back in the box, and be able to keep a good inventory of those um, and be able to keep track of your inventory. So hopefully, this section has helped you on concession stand. Now, Concession stands go back and forth. Some concession stands in the past, in my, in my history or in my experience, we have made money at concession stands and we have lost money at concession stands. And it really just all depends on the time of day, the number of people that come, the type of items that you have at your concession stand. So if you can kind of get all of those pieces together, then you can have a great concession stand and you can make some good money for your women's football team. You guys have a good um, time this, this evening. Um, this is the end of this episode. Next week, we are going to talk about... Let me pull it up. We're going to talk about corporate sponsors um, at an ownership and a support staff level, going out and getting the bigger sponsors. And then we're also going to talk about security and safety of your brand as a women's football team. And what you need to do to protect your brand um, from other organizations, from uh, people within the organization, and from the local community. So I hope you guys have a great week. Um, and also, let me, before we end, let me put out the information on for Facebook. 
We have our Women's Football Success Facebook group. And that is at www.facebook.com backslash women's football success. This is a group for players, support staff, coaches, and owners to go to and be able to share information. We have a different theme for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We don't, I don't put specific posts in there every day, but we do do guided posts. For example, Mondays is Marketing Mondays, Tuesdays is Business Tip Tuesday. Um, so we kind of put some prompts out there for you guys to share information about women's football, about your team, and about your experiences. You can find all of our women's football information on our website. It's part of supersmallbiz.com. So you go to www.supersmallbiz.com backslash women's football or go to supersmallbiz.com and click on the tab that says women's football success. You'll find some other areas um, that I do business consulting on in there, but women's football success is a tab within it. And then we have put our articles and stuff inside the women's football success. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and we hope to see you um, on some other episodes. We're just getting underway, so feel free to go look at the, the last few episodes. We're going to start promoting those, and uh, we just wanted to have some content for you guys to, to talk about and, and listen to. Um, we've talked about uh, briefly about tryouts and ticket sales, sponsorships, revenue, flexibility, coaches' respect. Uh, social media, and then we're also getting ready to launch um, two webinars first, and then we will get on to some others, but um, we will keep you posted and updated. We've also talked about event planning and football 101, so I hope that this stuff helps you guys, and I really appreciate you guys stopping by. Um, you guys have a great rest of your week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Take you on a dance down the